0: Welcome to the Age of Aquarius, New Rules for a New Age. This is our second podcast. Hi, I'm Linda
1: Brady. And I'm Michael Brady. This podcast, we will be talking about how Pisces foundations are transformed and aid us in moving into the Age of Aquarius. In this life, we all have one foot in the Age of Pisces and another one in the Age of Aquarius. And we find ourselves caught between, as Shakespeare said, A drama of cosmic proportions. Our value systems collide. Our old beliefs and precious illusions are being threatened and destroyed. Disagreements abound. Terrorism flourishes. Extremism escalates and political polarization causes anger and fear. And our life can be a microcosm of a world going crazy. We need to be integrated, centered, and balanced using our knowledge of Pisces and Aquarius to find harmony and meaning in our daily life now. This is the way that we will change the world. Change yourself, change the world. Today, we are being called on to think and feel for ourselves. We are being called to take responsibility for our own lives. So let's take a look at how the old Piscean beliefs of the last 2,000 years can be upgraded or are transformed to help us grow up and be responsible. Linda, where should we start?
0: Well, you know, I think the first place to start is with the gift that the universe has given us for the next year. And that gift is the planet Jupiter moving into the sign of Pisces. It's been there for a few weeks. It's going to go back into Aquarius and then it'll go back into Pisces for almost nine months. So with that gift, the planet of Jupiter brings expansion, benevolence, um, intuition, philosophy, spirituality. It's a planet that, that actually represents expansion and growth. So we are able, probably this year, more than any other year in 12 years, to to understand the goodness and the gifts that were pisces many of my friends are piscean and they including my husband and say well here i'm a pisces and you're telling me i need to move away from pisces to go into aquarius so it's very it's confusing so what we we know what we really know is we need to find transitions from the age of pisces the best of pisces the best of what we learned and bring them into the age of aquarius so we feel more in balance you know, it's not an extreme. It doesn't need to be an extreme. So Jupiter, Jupiter's basic principle is about benevolence and grace and goodness. So that's what we're going to do, Michael. We're going to start with the really positive parts of Pisces. And to do that, we're going to create an opposition between what has happened through Pisces and how we can transform it into the positive parts of Pisces, and use that as the foundations for the age of Aquarius.
1: I see. So how do we get started?
0: Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of the belief systems that we created in the age of Pisces, and then I'm going to talk about ways that we are able to transform them. Okay. And then you and I can talk about that. How's that? That sounds like fun. Okay, good. Okay, number one, we are sinful and should be filled with guilt. Our journey is to be redeemed through penance and sacrifice, a Pisces belief. Okay, a transformed Pisces belief would be, we have committed actions that may have caused others pain, but we have the ability to ask for and receive forgiveness. And with this, I uh, I have a story, many of you have heard me speak in it before, but I love it. Um, Nelson Bandala was uh, in prison for 26 years in South Africa. When he came out of prison, there was a reporter, of course, there to greet him. And the reporter runs up to him and says, Dr. Mandela, Dr. Mandela, how do you feel about being the being in prison? How do you feel about your jailers? And Mandela looked at him and said, oh, son, I forgave them a long time ago. And the reporter went, well, how in the world could you do that? Look what they did to you. And he said very, very simply, because forgiveness is an act of love and freedom for myself. And that one line, I get chills every time I speak it, that is what the Age of Pisces really taught us, that the that forgiveness is actually loving and forgiving and being in freedom with ourselves.
1: Well, that's interesting because... Um the way that we've done forgiveness in the last 2,000 years has been under a lot of duress. I mean, usually we have been wronged and persecuted and hurt and, and m- martyred. And in the process of that happening to us as a Christian, we've been asked to forgive the other person, uh, the, right. uh, the, uh, the other side of the equation. Well, a person's in great pain physically or emotionally or spiritually at the time that they do that. Uh, And there's also a feeling of guilt often involved along with that process. So before we can forgive other people, I think we have to forgive ourselves. Okay, I would agree with that. Yes, And being able to forgive ourselves up to now has been in the province of having to seek the forgiveness from somebody else from God outside of us, from, uh, from the church, from another human being who represents uh, God in this case. Uh, I, I think in the age of Aquarius, we're really being called on to claim back that for ourselves in that we need to be able to forgive ourselves for our, and I'll call these honest mistakes now. Um, on the earth plane, there, there is no way to go through a lifetime and do everything quote unquote right the first time around or actually many times around. So it's a learning process. And in that process, we're all gonna make mistakes. And usually the guilt that has been has been taught to us over the last 2,000 years has been about those mistakes. The problems with guilt for me has been that uh, guilt says that you were a sinner or you did a mistake or you weren't able to be this kind of way and you aren't being it now. And you won't be it in the future. So that it sets us up to feel that feeling of now what I'll call honest shame and, uh, and embarrassment distorted into guilt. Because honest, and sh- honest shame, if you make a mistake, gets you to pay attention to what just happened. And you learn something from that. And then you move forward and the feeling wants to go away. Except if you were... And you are now and you always will be something, um, wrong or bad or not able to, then it takes that feeling and it keeps it going inside of your body. And we've been doing that for a lot of time now. So when we're granting forgiveness to other people, we don't feel like we can be forgiven. And that makes that a very painful process.
0: The other problem with that is that oftentimes that other person is not going to forgive us.
1: And that's interesting, too, because if you have been able to forgive yourself for something and then you ask the other person to forgive you, what they do with it on their side really doesn't matter anymore because you're free in the act of being able to grant yourself forgiveness first before you go and ask for it from the other person.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's freedom.
1: That's freedom, and you have to let go of the of the guilt, the residual and contaminated, honest shame um, and embarrassment that goes with the mistake you made, called the sin in the age of Pisces, very often, uh, and and that sets you free inside. So that right. when you do ask for that forgiveness for the other person, it's nice if they grant it, but it's really not required for us to feel unburdened from what uh, is involved here.
0: No, we can often just feel sad that they weren't able to because now the onus is on them, not us. We are free to move ahead, which is very, very different than what we were taught in the Age of Pisces. Okay, so now another one. We learned from Christ, who brought in the Age of Pisces, uh, that he was perfect, that we thought he was perfect, and that we must strive for perfection to emulate him. In many ways, you know, I think that's what we were taught as Christians, and, and perhaps in other religions also, that, you know, we really need to strive to be godlike as as well as we can. And the so that is the Piscean belief. The transformed belief is that Christ symbolized the perfection of God, and here is the important one, and has told us that the kingdom of God lives within us, that piece of us is always perfect. And that is really so important because we forget that. We forget that that part of us that is God is perfect. So what we do is we're trying to find perfection outside of ourselves. And it's a fool's game because it never works. If we are excellent and we strive for excellence and know that perfection is not the, <laughs> is not the outcome, we are in fact then being being, being perfect, we are using the soul that God has given us in order to create and be strong and be moving ahead with our missions. And to me, that is the most important thing. And one of the things I learned, and I really wish I knew who said this, but the, but it was said that the journey to excellence has no room for perfection, which means that if we're striving for perfection, what we're doing is we are creating perfection paralysis. We feel we cannot do it right. We're not going to do it well enough. We're not going to get that hundred every time. So therefore, you know, I'm not going to do anything. So being able to know that there is already a part of us that is perfect, a part of us that is divine, and that we can strive for excellence really is the transformational quality of that Piscean belief. What do you think, Michael?
1: This axiom, you know, for me really um, hits home around the need for all of us to learn how to meditate, because of the key phrase: "The kingdom of God lies, of God lies within us." Well, when you meditate, that's exactly, or w- 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 when you achieve that state, you are in that place where you are just being; you are just here now, and even your ego tends to go away. And in that moment, you are exactly feeling in perfect union with the universe, with God, with source. You can add a term there, any term you want to. And it is a profoundly peaceful place to be inside yourself. So what happens is is that when you learn how to meditate and you go to that place, you drop all judgment away. And when you drop all judgment away, you are in a perfect state of being. Right, in a
0: state of grace.
1: In a state of grace.
0: Okay, so this leads into, very nicely, the next one, which we've probably already talked about. But the idea of, of Pisces is that there are people and energies and source outside of ourselves that, are give, that we need because we're basically childish and inadequate and we're not able, et cetera, et cetera. You can fill in your own blanks on that. So therefore, we need someone else. To tell us what to do, how to do it, what the rules are, etc. etc. With the understanding that we all have a God given soul, we become the authority. We become the part of ourselves that knows our own truth. We're the ones that can say, with God's help, with my soul's help, I become strong more empowered and stronger every day. And for so many years, Michael and I have been talking about soul mission and soul contracts and and how to really connect with the spiritual part of ourselves and in many ways it's been to help us become better and to help us become stronger i it's like that three three pronged stool you know you take one of the legs away from the stool and it's going to topple over well if you think about the age of aquarius and the triangle that goes with that which is mind body soul you take away the soul part and you don't, have a, you don't have a stool at all. So being able to integrate all of that together creates what we need in order to make life worthwhile. And to do the hard stuff, because we're all being challenged on some level, you know, to do things that seem outside of what we can do, which we now call the soul mission, which is always 180 degrees apart from where we think we can do it. So, so what do you think, Michael?
1: I, I would agree with everything you say. Um... Uh, (laughs) I just went blank. Oh,
0: okay. Well, I can move into the next one. If I said it so well that we don't have anything to say. I
1: think you said it so well I didn't have a comment. Well,
0: then let's move on down the line here. What do you think? All right. Okay, the next one is, a spiritual plane is more desirable than the material plane, so earthly pleasures are to be renounced for more spiritual pursuits. We all need to go to a convent or on retreat or we need to stay connected to spirit and never mind making money and never mind having fun and never mind enjoying the pleasures of the earth because that, they're not as important. And we're not going to go to heaven if we care too much about the earthly pleasures. And I have a lot to say about this one, so i just keep going on.
1: Sure, go ahead. Okay. go first.
0: All right. My, this is a transformation. My spirit dwells within my earthly body And walks the earth. I honor and love the earth that I walk. And here's the important line. This is very significant for the age of Aquarius. The need and desire to integrate spiritual and earthly value. Because remember, in the age of Pisces, we were extremists. So it's either spirit or material, right? One or the other. Right. That's not true in the in the age of Aquarius. And so, learning about how to integrate spirit spirit through earth creates a third option, which, of course, is what the age of Aquarius would want us to do. And learning to love and honor the earth and, and spirit at the same time. We don't have to make it be an all or nothing.
1: Right. Well, you know, over the last 2,000 years, there has been a lot of poverty in the world. There have been a, more people have been peasants than they've been royalty. And we only had a middle class that developed within the last 300 years actually, in history. So there was either those who had everything or those who had nothing for most of the time before that. Uh, And in psychology, there's a hierarchy of needs. And those needs start with your physical needs first. Then you have to move to your safety needs. Then you move to love and belonging. Then you move to self-esteem. And then you move to self-actualization. And self-actualization is defined as feeling our potential and having creative actions. Hmm. Uh, So that fits more with spirit for me, okay? So over the last 2,000 years, most people couldn't get to the spiritual part because they were tied up in not having enough of their basic needs met. Hmm. We now live in an era where more and more people, and there's more than enough goods for everyone on the planet, so to speak, now, which wasn't true historically, more people are able to take care of their earthly needs better than they have before. And those higher needs, those spiritual needs, are becoming more apparent as we move ahead. And again, uh, being spiritual needs to be integrated with earth because if you're in pain, if you're in distress and you're trying to give love to other people, then that pain is really coming along with the love you give. And I don't think that the essence of love is supposed to be heavy or burdensome or painful. It should be light. It should be free. It should be enhancing ourselves and other people. So if we take care of our basic needs first and we take care of ourselves and we learn how how to love ourselves and we learn how how to let go of the guilt that we carry around in ourselves... Then, then when we give out to other people, those, that spiritual part of our life will be in a very positive place, both for us and the other person.
0: Yeah, and that brings me to another one. You're right on the money here, Michael. We're just going right down the line. Um, one of the Piscean beliefs is that we love conquers everything, and we should never, ever, ever put ourselves first. Ever that we all should be that self-centeredness is selfish. And we're not—it's—it's it's, it's evil on some level. We're not supposed to do that, and we're supposed to love other people before ourselves.
1: Yeah. Well. Okay. So if we love other people before we love ourselves enough, I'll—I'll I'll say enough, adequately, right? Then we're—we're we're not happy. We're in distress, are we not? We are. Okay. So while we fulfill the other person with love. We are hungry for love, right?
0: Right, right. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: So that sets up, I think, a win-lose outcome. One person wins and one person loses, okay? I don't think God had that in mind. No, I don't think he did either. how love should work here. I think God had in mind that when we came down and played with each other around how we love each other, that it should come out win-win. Both people should come out happy, whole, fed, gratified, fulfilled with love, don't you think? Right,
0: and the transformational statement that we've written here is that loving our heart and soul first is akin to loving God. And loving God means that we, that he, she, they, whatever, provides us with the compassion to help other people.
1: I would agree with that. And
0: one of the challenges I had in my personal life, because I came from a very, a, a, a home where I gave to others first, that, is, that was what we did and that 's how I was raised, and what I learned is as a coach a counselor, that every time I did that, I was in fact diminishing the other person yes, and that when I realized that that I was not honoring their strength or their power, and I became the one that was going to fix them and make them all all well, right, when I learned that that was not what God had had mind for me it 's not, not my soul 's mission at all. Um, it really was helpful. So I was in the need for that win-win situation. I take care of me, and I can help you take care of you.
1: I've got a perfect example of that that happened in our own life. About five years ago, I was at a traffic light on a Sunday morning, and I saw the guy in the pylon with a with a cardboard sign, and he did not look like he lived in the outdoors. His cl- his clothes looked decent. His hair was cut. Uh, he didn 't look like he was homeless, but his cardboard sign said i 'm a veteran i 've been unemployed for a year. I have a wife, three children and and a house mortgage and i haven 't been able to find employment and I need fifty dollars to pay my my uh, my house mortgage by tomorrow and He was walking up and down. Up and down the pylon, okay? I feel sorry for anybody who walks up and down pylons (laughs) because I cannot imagine myself bringing myself to feel, uh, to, uh, under any circumstances, really bringing myself, you know, uh, to be able to do that. And this guy looked like he was an upstanding, responsible citizen, so to speak, right, Mm -hmm. at the time. And... So I waved him over while I was at the, at the light. I decided to give something to him. And I pulled out my wallet. And son of a gun, as I pulled out a $20 bill, I looked in my wallet, and all the cash I had available at the time was $50 <laughs> in cash in my right. wallet. And it was the exact match of his sign. So. On impulse, I reached in and pulled out the rest of the cash and gave him the entire $50 he needed to pay his mortgage, which means that he was going to immediately leave having the panhandle on the street and go home probably, right? Okay. When he looked at the money in his hand, it was worth a million dollars because his eyes lit up and I felt I, I could see him have a big... sigh inside like oh god i I don't have to do this anymore kind of thing i can go home and i felt i just felt happy i felt i felt joyous actually in my heart at the time (laughs) because i saw the guy smile and i really loved the idea that i could help him deal with the whole thing at one time okay the light changed he barely said thank you and i drove away But that lasted for three days with me. I mean, I was literally high. I remember when you did that. that. For like three days. So that's an example for me of win-win love, where how we interact with each other, what we do around trying to love each other, is not in a suffering, win-lose, somebody gains and the other person suffers and or dies or doesn't get enough or is less has less at the end of that exchange.
0: Right, and that brings us to one of the very basic pieces of the Age of Pisces, which is about extremism, which is about win-lose. And one of the axioms, of course, was heaven and hell. And heaven and hell are the only choices that we have in this, in this earthly experience. It says we either go to heaven or we go to hell. We're either right or we're wrong, and that's the end of the story. So... What, I, what I've thought about, and this is what we transformed it into, the other, side of, the other side of heaven, however you see that, welcomes all souls to learn, grow, and find karmic balance in future lives. Therefore, we have many creative opportunities for heaven. I think people really understand to some degree that hell is what we make it. That we can create hell on earth very easily, and a lot of people have. And if we believe in extremism, if things aren't working, then things are really bad. If we're not right, we're wrong. If we're not perfect, we're evil. Those extremistic qualities have hurt so many of us to such a degree that we're now creating that in our world in a very deep way.
1: Well, from all the past life work I've done over the years, uh, I've, I've come to observe and think and ultimately believe that I don't think there is a heaven and hell after we leave our bodies. I think Now, that's not to say that you can't have an experience of heaven and hell. I think after we leave our bodies, that if you are in a consciousness set where you absolutely believe that will happen to you, you will have an experience that meets your expectations for a while. But what I've seen pervasively overriding all that in my past life work is that when we leave our life, we rest and heal in between. We recuperate from the... It's kind of like a prize fight down here. So it's kind of like ding, ding. <laughs> it's timeout, And in that space in between, we're refreshing, re-energizing, healing from the last round, if you will. And we're thinking about the next round. About that it just works very much like a prize fight. Um, and then we come back in. And in that sense when we leave here, we really are just healing and coming back around. And and of course, heaven and hell is based on the idea that we only get one shot, True. you're born, you die, and you're done. I'm not really buying that for myself anymore, even though I was raised to believe that. So in, in the scope of the past life work I've been involved in in my life, I have a sense that we have probably, and this is going to blow people away, on average, about 100,000 incarnations behind us. Now, That's a lot, Michael. Yes. Now, the last 10,000 years, well, yes, but we've been here. Homo sapien, in our current model, has been on this planet 1.5 million years. We coexisted with five or six other human being species, like cro Magnum man. That, uh, um, and for a large part of that time, and in a mere, mere uh, 20,000 years, Homo sapiens was the only surviving human species left on this planet when we had coexisted for a large amount of time with other human species on this planet. So at any rate, most of our incarnations that we're dealing with are coming from the last 10,000 years, which is how long we're able to remember back quote-unquote, historically. Beyond that, it is called myth in our mind. And we've been here for 1.5 million years. So 10,000 against 1.5 million years is a little slice of time. We have forgotten oceans of time that we've been incarnating back and forth on this planet. So 100,000 is not that big of a stretch when you take a look at it in that large context. And the last 10,000 years, I don't know, 25, uh, 35, 50 maybe lifetimes is what we're drawing from, which is our current evolutionary lessons, challenges that we're trying to understand. And the idea of coming back around to learn how to love each other and ourselves more perfectly in a win-win way, I don't like to use the word perfectly there necessarily, um, makes sense to me with the fact that that we leave we heal, we re-energize, we choose our next challenges to try to learn while we're here on this plane to love ourselves and other people better, and we come back around.
0: Okay. That made me tired just thinking about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it made me tired learning about that. Yeah, right. I'm sure.
0: All right. Here's another one. Humility and compassion are the only things that are morally correct, so we must always turn the other cheek. Loving And so the transformation part of that is loving ourselves means that we honor and respect ourselves and maintain good boundaries that others may not cross so that we can be more compassionate and helpful as we hold those boundaries for ourselves.
1: Okay, so here's the thought for you. One should always turn the other cheek, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if, if on earth we end up in conflict with someone... Okay, which historically usually ended up with somebody dead in the process and somebody still alive, right? Okay. The one who turns the cheek in a conflict is the one who ends up on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Dies, okay. So that leaves the world populated with the people who didn't die, which are what we would call the perpetrators in this case. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty much the way it looks. I wonder how we'd make progress. I don't... Whoever the functioning group on the Earth w- left would make progress. Given that rule set, okay?
0: well, so I, I, ab- I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think that so, ever can work.
1: So I absolutely agree with the transformation of this. Is right. That we have to take have good boundaries. Well, having good boundaries means that if someone steps up and messes with you, you mess with them back. I, I mean, we all believe in a basic right to defend ourselves, don't we? Right. <laughs> okay. So right. That's, that means that there are times that you do not turn the other cheek. Okay. Now, short of judging that it's an all-or-none process, the conflict you're in, turning the other cheek can encourage other people to do the same. But, but I have found in my own life and work that that doesn't occur during the conflict. It actually applies to when you survive a conflict that comes out win-lose. And then you re-engage, which we happen to do often with most people in our life, re-engage over and over again. When you come back... And you start again with the next person on, uh, or with the same person on the next round. That you always offer them a win-win option. Now that's a form of turning the other cheek, right? Because if if you lost on the last round, and you come back and offer what you and I would call a third option or an or a compromise, a win-win option, right? You have to let go of any animosity that you walked away from on the last round and get yourself in a good place in a self-loving place when you re-engage now that form of turning the other cheek actually becomes very powerful right but it's got to be offered in the free space when you re-engage it can't be Uh, done during the fray, during the fight, so to speak? Well,
0: as um, St. Augustine, I think, said, and uh, many other prophets have said, that holding a grudge or being um, angry at someone over long periods of time and not letting go of that is like, Drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I love
1: that line. I love, I, that I line. love the image of that.
0: I know. So if we have those times, the spaces between the conflict and the free space in order to allow ourselves to let go of it, that would be a very definite Aquarian way of doing this axiom.
1: Yes. And that's actually a phase where we are choosing to forgive the other person without them having asked in the first place. Right.
0: And without being a concern whether they forgive us or not.
1: Right. Because if you let go of the grudge, if you bury the hatchet, and it's not interactional, if you do that in yourself before you re-engage with someone, it really doesn't depend on what they're doing, and it doesn't depend on them having conceded anything. No. It's, and- it, it, it's a self-contained act to let go of the poison in ourselves.
0: Right, that's true. And when we talk next week about uh, the strategies of living in an aquarian life, a lot of what we've just talked about is going to have a whole new meaning. But there's one more thing I wa- one more I want to go through before we finish. Okay. Uh, and we have sort of spoke to this again, but the age of Pisces really was the age of the church. Now, we had the age of Aries, which is the, 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 the synagogue and the, the Jewish church. In the age of Pisces, we had the Christian church and many different forms of that. And Buddha came through and, and uh, Muhammad, all these other prophets came through in the age of Pisces. And they became the religious authorities. So they were God's word on earth. Mm-hmm. Through the Bible, through uh, the Quran, through whatever. okay, And never could we challenge the word of God coming through those books. We can never do that right. because they were God's words. And they were filtered, of course, through man, but still they were God's words. So one of the ways we can transform that is by saying God's words come through our soul into our hearts. And if we listen, It will become our truth.
1: Oh, I got a whole ton of stuff to say.
0: Oh, but don't, didn't you love that? I love when I wrote
1: that. I do love that. Okay. Well, the first problem with that is I agree with uh, that, that God's words or the, or the wisdom of spirit or the maker or origin consciousness, whatever you want to ascribe source to comes through our souls into our hearts, comes to us through our hearts. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is, is that most people are cut off from their hearts. That's true. And because they are cut off from their hearts, they're also unaware of their emotions, which our hearts think with. Also true. Like our brains think with words, right. and that our our heart is actually a brain.
0: We, yes, uh, we even know that now. One in our head. Right. Science caught up with us.
1: Yes, sixty-six percent of the cells of the human heart are the same type of cell as the brain, in your head. And so, our hearts. Is, is a rational brain equal to the one in our head and it thinks about meaning in life like our intellect thinks about meaning with logic with emotion with our feelings and the only time we're ever sure of something is when we think about it with our heart and process it through our emotional language when we think about stuff with our heads all we get is a probability and a probability is less than a certainty so you can never be sure of anything in your head, you can only be sure of something with your heart. And if you're gonna to listen to God or source, it has to be through your heart.
0: Right. Well, there you go. I guess I was right when I wrote this, huh?
1: Yeah. Oh good. Very so good. the truth does come from the inside, not the outside. And anyway, who believes anybody else over their own over themselves anyhow?
0: Well, not a lot of people actually when you get right down to it. Although you know, if, you're, if you have belief systems that other people have more knowledge than you do, and you, will, you would succumb to that. If you thought that they were able to get you to um, illumination or, uh, or root oh, yeah. to God.
1: But you see, you've got to hear other people's truth through your heart. Well,
0: I'm not talking about people not that your, come through their your, heart.
1: Not your head. Right. Because no matter who tells you the truth, and you hear it through your head, all you get is a probability. So you can never right. end up certain based on what you hear from somebody else.
0: Right. Well, you and I both know that. I guess that's why we're talking about it, yeah, right? we're talking about right. Okay,
1: it. Right. Okay, fine. So again, so guess what? Again, it drives us back to the value of learning how to control your breath, controlled breathing, and through your breath, the tool of your breath, learning how to meditate and go inside and be in yourself.
0: And, sti- in your and very center. still.
1: And be in your heart Right. be very still. And spending time there in and of itself is transformative and healing even if you don't have one single thought in your head because you're sitting in the perfect part of yourself.
0: And next week we'll talk about energetic laws. And one of the energetic laws is exactly what you were just talking about and how vital it is for us to honor our emotional lives and certainly our heart as it comes to that. So I think we're done for today, Michael. We will, uh, gonna c- close it with, um, my saying once more, one more time. Anybody have any thoughts or interests? You want us to talk about anything? Anybody want to come on and talk with us or argue with us or have your own commentary? We would love to have you. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to be discussing the strategies for living the Aquarian life. And that will be our third podcast, and we hope you join us. And uh, take care, everyone. Bye.
1: Bye.